Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The skipper, Kevin Kennedy, and Rich Herrera. Welcome, everybody, to America's Best Baseball Podcast, the World Series edition. We've been busy running around, but hey, Kevin, two teams left, the best of the American League, the best of the National League. You, I think, called this before the season started. These are one of the teams, both of these are the teams that you like to head into the fall class. Uh, I did. I did. I, d- I definitely like the Dodgers to repeat. And uh, once the Red Sox signed J.D. Martinez, I just thought that put the capper on them to have this type of season where they would win the uh, American League East. And I-, and I felt they were poised to go to the World Series. I thought they were the best team in the American League. The Astros had a great year. Uh, they were banged up during the middle of the year. And never really got 100%. Altuve, who just had knee surgery, by the way, after this uh, LCS in the American League. Correa's back was bothering him. He never really was able to turn on good fastballs in and hit for the power that he did uh, last year. He'll be, uh, he'll be healthier, obviously, next year getting that done. I don't think he's going to have to have surgery. But point being, I just felt like, and even though the, the Astros went out and got Garrett Cole, I just felt like the uh, the, uh, the way the Red Sox played and the way they were designed, they could hit good pitching. They play some small ball. Uh, they don't strike out much. They work counts. They put the ball in play. Uh, they've got good starting pitching, especially the way David Price pitched in his last outing in the LCS. And Chris Sale, if he's healthy, he has a chance to really do something special in the World Series. But, you know, these predictions we make, Rich, you and I both make, have to be back in March before all the uh, July – deals are done and the August deals are done. And um, so it's it's hard to project that far, uh, but you have to know the organizations and what their front office people will, will probably do at trade deadlines. And I just felt that these two teams were poised to um, go to the World Series for the first time since 1916. Now, you think about it, two legendary teams, <laughs> the networks have to be pinching themselves and you get L.A. and Boston. And now you look at what the ticket prices are going for in the secondary markets. Both of these towns are excited. Well, you know, it's interesting for me, obviously, because I got a chance to manage in Boston back in 95 and 96, and that was a special uh, year for me, a couple of years for me. In 95, we actually won the division when we were picked to finish fourth uh, to the New York Yankees. We actually won the division by eight games. And then, of course, I spent really my training as far as a minor league manager with the Dodgers from 1982. I was a AAA player, became a coach the next year in the minor leagues. 
slash catching instructor manager from 84 to 91 and, and moved on and got my opportunities to, to manage and coach in the big leagues, both in Montreal and Texas, before I actually went to Boston. So these two organizations uh, are the ones I'm probably most familiar with as far as uh, my big league time. Not that the two years in Texas wasn't great. That was my training ground. But in Boston, when you actually win uh, a division there, I have a pretty good feeling what the, what the uh, feeling is like in, in Boston right now for these fans that have actually are actually going back to their fourth World Series in 15 years. And for the Dodgers on the other side, growing up in L.A., being a Dodger fan since I was a kid, watching Koufax, Drysdale, and Maury Wills especially. And I was of age, obviously, to see those guys play and win some championships, especially back in 63 and in 1965. Uh, and then the teams in the 77 and 78, which uh, went to back-to-back World Series, first-time Dodger teams have done that, by the way, the, in 17 and 18 here. So obviously, um, uh, being a Dodger fan growing up, I'm still a Dodger fan, and I'm not biased as far as my descriptions, as you know, and my constructive criticism rich as far as this job goes I, I i say it like i see it even if the dodgers are wrong or i feel they're wrong or manny machado does something that to me is not right i'm going to say it um so i don't have bias as far as when i make my picks i base it on what i know and what I've, my experiences are and and hope hopefully you know you're right and and this time it worked out so it doesn't work out always that way but this time preseason predictions have worked out well Let's talk about both of these ball clubs. Let's start with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the team that you see on a daily basis. Uh, Dodgers got off to the slow start, uh, but boy, everything coming down the stretch locked in for them. And this was not a cakewalk. This is not rolling through the way they did last year. They had to earn every piece of this with the Arizona Diamondbacks and the and the Colorado Rockies, then getting through the playoffs. They outlasted everyone, I think is the best way to describe the Dodgers this year. Well, when they were 16 and 26, I mean, that's a quarter of the season. And I've always felt in Major League Baseball that um, you, you kind of know the temperature of your ball club when you're about a quarter of the way through the season. And that's where the Dodgers were. And most people that didn't see the ball club on an everyday basis counted the Dodgers out. But I, I never did. And not because I work for them and do 40 games on radio, mostly with Rick Monday on Dodger games. I did it based on knowing the front office, knowing Dave Roberts, knowing the talent they had in the minor leagues, knowing that they were going to make some moves, and knowing that two guys were gone and they were going to replace those guys or get one back. One, Justin Turner was gone for the first two months. And when they were 16 and 26, he wasn't in the lineup. He wasn't back yet. And then the other one, number two, is Corey Seager went down with Tommy John surgery. He was done for the year. So they didn't have their number two and three hitters that they had a year ago. And I knew that Justin Turner would be back. And, and when Justin got back, the Dodger lineup immediately changed. He's their go-to guy. He's their captain. He's their uh, clutch performer. He's one of the most clutch performers in Dodger history, as a matter of fact. And so he's a difference maker, huge difference maker. You can look at the numbers with and without Justin Turner, and they're dramatically different. And then I knew they would do a lot at the deadline. I knew they would do something at shortstop. And then they were able to pull off the Manny Machado deal. And then they did some other nice deals, even in August, getting David Freeze and Ryan Matson, And they've done a variety of things over the course of the year, picking up, you know, Dylan Floro and different pitchers here and there that were either released or uh, released guys from last offseason, like a Max Muncy from, from Oakland, etc. And so I just felt like once they got together and got most of their lineup back, because no, no team has all of their lineup usually for all season. Guys go down here and there. 
it happens to every team. It happened to Chris Sale with the Boston Red Sox. He's been on the DL a couple of times. Um, it's happened to every ball club. It happened to George Springer and Houston Astros and Altuve and Correa. They were all down at one time at, uh, at the same time. Uh, it happened to the Yankees. It's happened to every team in Major League Baseball. It's just that you have the depth to withstand that and actually pick up ground when you're nine games out back in May like the Dodgers were, and I just felt they did. And I felt they had the front office, and yes, they had the money. Even though they wanted to stay under the luxury tax, I felt they had the money and the talent and the, uh, the, the talent evaluators to do that and pick up key people that would make a difference. So that's, that's why I never discounted the Dodgers. It wasn't because I work for them and have a contract with them. It has nothing to do with that. I just felt like if you discount the Dodgers after 42 games and you just don't know the organization, and that's a mistake for a national analyst to say that, I would never say that about Boston if they lost Chris Sale because I don't know the Red Sox's minor league organization like I do the Dodgers. I would never say that if I were a national analyst where the Boston Red Sox are done because there's five or six games out and it's April or May. And as you know, Rich, it's 162 games. It's such a long season. You can get on a run and go 21 and six in a month just like that, and all of a sudden you're back in the race. And I also, you'd have to do this based on the valuation of the National League West, the division you're in. Can you win the division you're in? And I felt the Dodgers could win the division they were in. Were they going to have the best record in the National League? Probably not, like last year. But were they capable of winning the division they were in based on knowing Colorado, knowing Arizona, knowing San Diego, and knowing what the Giants had? I felt like, yeah, it was going to be two teams were going to be out of it, which were San Francisco and San Diego. And the other two would be, be battling. But I felt the Dodger team overall – once the trade deadline in July was over, I felt they were a better team than they were last year, and I think they still are. When you look at the Dodgers and the pluses, the minuses, let's talk about some of the things that uh, Andrew Friedman was able to do to bring in extra bodies, extra bats, extra arms, and how they made sense to get this club uh, to where they are today. Well, number one, I think the Dodgers learned from last year um, it can't just be two guys at the end of the ball game to save the game for you, and that's going to be that as far as the bullpen goes. Brandon Morrow ran out of gas because they used him in all seven games in the World Series, and by the end of the World Series, he hit the wall, and he wasn't the same guy. And I think the Dodgers changed their philosophy because of that. They went out and really made it a bullpen season, um, even when Kenley Jansen went down with the AFib. Um He's going to have to have a heart surgery in the offseason. But uh, in Colorado, he, he got lightheaded again and uh, was having problems with his uh, heart. And uh, this is something he's had historically, of course. And he wasn't pitching for a couple of weeks. He had to get used to the new medication he was on. So somebody had to finish off some games. Some guys weren't able to do it in the ninth inning, but they were able to do it in the seventh inning or eighth inning. But the bottom line is they just picked up so many relievers throughout the course of the year from Ed Godell to – Zach Roscup to Dylan Floro, who made the roster, to Shane Alexander out last offseason. Um, I mean, I can go on and on and on. They just had so much more depth in the bullpen, both lefties and righties, than they did a year ago, where they counted on Brandon Morrow in the eighth and, and, and getting the ball to Kenley Jansen in the ninth. This year, they didn't do that. They didn't count on just um, one guy to get the ball to Kenley Jansen. This year, it's been a variety of guys. And now, as you know, the lineup is deeper as well. The lineup um, Andrew was able to get a lefty-righty balance. Three years ago against the Giants, the Giants went out and made some trades and got a couple left-handed pitchers. Will Smith was one out of the bullpen, and Matt Moore was another one because the Dodgers at that time 
were terrible against left-handed pitching. And Andrew Freedom made a point three years ago that I'm not he's not going to let that happen again. So he went out and got some right-handed bats to to make sure that lefties uh, don't always dominate the Dodgers. And this year, in the last couple of years, they haven't. They went out and got Brian Dozier. They went out and picked up David Freeze at the in, at the end of August for crying out loud. And I, how David Freeze got to the Dodgers, I don't know. Just hearing David Freeze with a leadoff home run was weird. It's it's very strange, isn't it? But David Freeze is phenomenal against lefties, and he's not bad against righties. Uh, it's very strange to see one guy get an at-bat that, that's a World Series hero and that's a very good postseason performer and then come out as soon as a right-handed pitcher comes in the ballgame and then he's out of the game after one at-bat and here comes Max Muncy. I've never seen that before. I don't know that I'll ever see it again. I hope Major League Baseball, for all 30 teams, that we don't see bullpen games everywhere and openers everywhere. I don't think after what we saw with Milwaukee that we're going to see that because you just can't win that way. You still have to have starting pitching in my mind. And, well, again, and I just we, Kevin, we've and I don't mean to cut you off, but we've always talked about it. The regular season is a marathon. I could go with openers if I don't have a fifth starter, but when I get to the postseason, it becomes a sprint. And we've seen so many teams that were great for 162, and then when I get into the five-game, seven-game series, forget about it. You don't have the horses to run a sprint. It was a it was a very strange National League uh, championship series for me to watch what the Brewers did. I even thought Shashin – uh, who did not have great command, and I think that's one of the reasons Council got him out of there right away, not just the two-run home run that Bellinger got in Game 7 to put them up. Uh, I just think Kashashin didn't have his command of his off-speed stuff. You could see it right away. Where at Dodger Stadium, in his previous start in the LCS, he did have command. That's why he went as deep as he did. I was totally surprised, Rich, that uh, Hayter was in the ballgame as early as he was in the third inning because, number one, you knew he could probably go three innings, maybe four, depending on pitch count and how fatigued he was. But the bottom line is the game was only 2-1 to one at the time, and if the Brewers didn't think they could score one more run to tie it or let alone two, unless they put Hayter in there to keep the game right there, then they were in trouble anyway. But, and psychologically, the other thing, what it did for the Dodgers – they knew that his best piece was done after the fifth inning, as it turned out. And, yeah, he had some good pieces after that, but he also had some tired pieces, namely Jeffress, who was awful in this postseason. And at the end of the day, Jeffress gave up the three-round home run to Puig, and that was a, a huge momentum switch, uh, switch in the game. And I think it really cost him. After that, it's almost like the Brewer bats just checked out after that. Okay, so we talk about the sense of urgency. Bruce Bochy uh, gave you that uh, interview on SiriusXM years ago, and, and we talk about it a lot, that he learned at San Diego, and then he learned from that in San Francisco, and that's why he has three World Series titles right. and the sense of urgency. But I almost looked at it like maybe the Milwaukee Brewers had too much of a sense of urgency. And I also want you to talk, if you don't mind, Skip, about – having that hammer at the backhanded hater, knowing that I'm not going to have him in the ninth inning. So, you know, if you were, let's say, the Yankees of yesteryear with Stanton and Nelson setting up Mo, if you knew that you had that hammer at the end, if you were the Red Sox and you had Papelbon years ago, if you're the Dodgers and a, and a healthy Kenley Jansen, you make it a seven or maybe an eight-inning game when I've got that guy. Well, I, I was from the era where I had to manage against the Yankees when they had those guys, especially when they had Rivera before he became the closer. He would throw two innings, the seventh and the eighth, to get the ball to John Wetland. 
I remember in 1996 when the Yankees won the World Series that year, and John Wetland was the MVP of that World Series. This was before Mo Rivera became the closer, and I honest, it was a six inning game, so it makes you manage differently. And, and this it puts is a pressure, regular, it puts pressure on the hitters. I can't wait till that so, eighth inning. I better get well, my hacks in right now. Yeah, it's the regular season. It also makes you manage differently as far as moves you're going to make. Uh, because you can't wait to play your offensive chip. If you've got a couple men on in the fifth inning and maybe you have your nine hitter up and you've got a good you know, hitter on the bench, you're going to have to play that card right then and there. I, I think on the other side of this for Milwaukee, Shashin clearly, again, he didn't have his stuff as far as command. You could see it right away. He was behind the count a lot. Uh, he quick pitched Manny Machado. That's the only reason Manny bunted, by the way. That wasn't uh, designed by Manny. Hey, I'm going to go play small ball. He got quick pitch, and that's the only way he felt he could even put the ball in play. It's nothing else he could do. Otherwise, yeah, I've seen Jolie Shasin do that when he played here in San Diego. Yeah, it's otherwise it's a strikeout looking, but that's why Manny bunted. Everybody thought at first, well, oh, Manny, what a great uh, move. Surprise everybody. No, that's the only thing he could do. As we found out afterwards, as he it was said, because Shashin quick pitched him. But what I didn't get also was this pitch sequence to Bellinger. Uh, why in the world would you throw him a two seam, ninety mile an hour fastball and try to sneak one by him to try to get it down and away? I mean, you still got to go with your off speed stuff to Cody and, and just hopefully that you can make your pitches. Skip, you but you can't to our podcast because we've told you how you could pitch to Cody Bellinger. Do not try to sneak fastballs by him. Well, of all people, Shashin shouldn't. That's for sure. The guy throws all of 89 to 90, 91 tops, and you're not going to get that by Cody Bellinger. Now, he was trying to throw the sinker away. I get that and get him to roll over it, but uh, he missed badly right down the middle, above the knee, about thigh high, right down the middle, center cut, as we say. Boom. Uh, it couldn't have put it on a tee any better for Cody Bellinger, and, he, and as soon as he made contact, the momentum completely went on the Dodgers' side and it stayed on the Dodgers' side the rest of that ball game. And I think that's why Craig Council said, he, well, i got to go to Hayter to get the momentum on our side. At least we're only down one. But how long were they going to be only down one? How long could Hayter go to keep it right there? And could his offense do anything against Walker Bueller? They had a couple chances. Travis Shaw hit a double, no advances. Aguilar had a, a terrible, terrible game. 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, no attempt to even go the other way like he did against Ryu in, in game six where he had a big game, three hits, big two RBI double down the right field line. He didn't even attempt to have an at-bat like that against Walker Bueller. Where the moment gets and, to you a little bit. Yeah, well, that's that's the difference. That's where experience comes in, and the Dodgers uh, didn't panic. They have they had experience from a coaching standpoint. They have experience from a playing standpoint, and those the Dodgers didn't panic. And I thought that the uh, Brewers, especially with the hater move that early, I thought there was a little panic there. So let's talk about the the keys to the Dodgers. It's been the starting pitching. It's been having extra arms of the bullpen. It's been timely hits. It's overcoming uh, the injuries, and that's what's got them to this World Series in back-to-back occasions. Anything I'm missing? Uh, no, I, I've said this back in uh, spring training. I said this Dodger team um, is actually going to be better than the team from the year before. They had a, a better bullpen, I felt, overall. Right. They didn't. They didn't have Brandon Morrow, the one guy. But the Dodgers went a different route. They mixed and matched in those innings in the eighth inning. They mixed and matched in the sixth inning. They mixed and matched in the seventh inning. Um, they did that all season long. And then September, when the forty-man roster expanded to forty, by the way, the Dodgers had fifteen, sixteen men uh, down there in their bullpen, not just on the roster. I mean, in their bullpen. And so everything became a matchup. I mean, that's why the games were five hours long. But. <laughs> 
the Dodgers were playing meaningful games to try to win the division, let alone tie in third place. Not by much, but they were in third place at the beginning of September. And so they had to overtake Arizona and Colorado. And at the end of the day, that's exactly what happened. But they had a different ball club. But I thought in spring training it was a better ball club than a year ago, and especially it was a better ball club once they got Manny Machado to take over for a, a hurt Corey Seager, who missed the year because of Tommy John surgery. And again, uh, talking about Justin Turner, we've already talked about that a little bit, but just a reminder again what, how much he means to the Dodgers. They're just a different ball club when Turner's in there because he hits good pitching and he will play some small ball Turner. He can take you deep. But with two strikes, he had the best two-strike approach in the Dodger ball club, and some guys started following him uh, in this in this LCS. Uh, Cody Bellinger started shortening his swing, had a couple big hits the other way, a line drive double to left field, a base hit to left. Muncy started shortening his swing, went the other way a couple of times with Put some big hits. Put the ball in play. Put the ball Absolutely. in play. Let something happen. And this is what the Boston Red Sox believed in, and it is minimizing the strikeouts against these big power pitchers, and that's what you've got to do. You can't chase 99 miles an hour up in the zone. You're not going to catch up with it. You've got no chance to get it. That's why they throw it up there. And it looks so tantalizing because you see the top half of the baseball. It looks the size of a beach ball, and you can't catch up to it. Speaking of that, little sidebar, uh, get off the Dodgers for a second. That's exactly why Nathan Avaldi of the Boston Red Sox is a different pitcher today because he was a sinker slider pitcher when he was with L.A., and then when he got traded and moved, he's bounced around a little bit and uh, ended up with the Yankees, of course. Um, wasn't throwing his four-seamer as much, that 9,900-mile-an-hour fastball. Well, now he's a fastball overhand curveball pitcher because of the era that we're in where throw up in the zone with 99 to 100 and throw that good overhand curveball. That's why he's a different pitcher. Of course, he's been hurt before with the Tommy John, but he's a dominant pitcher now. But early in his career, he always had the big arm, but he was more sinker-slider. Well, the game has changed. More pitchers are going four-seam fastballs up. And overhand curveball. And uh, those are tough pitches if you don't lay off of them. They're really tough pitches to to catch up with. And, you know, the game has gone north and south as far as pitchers go and not east and west like it used to be in the zone. All right, let's continue our, our World Series preview and take a look at the Boston Red Sox uh, former club that you know uh, as a manager one time at Fenway Park. Somebody asked me the other day, what's the key for the Boston Red Sox? I said simple. It's David Price. If David Price can give them that one extra arm, can give them 10 good innings in the World Series, they win. Um, Skip, what's your key for the Boston Red Sox? I, I think both him and Sale, because we don't know what Sale's going to be. He had the stomach ailment. We don't really know what that is. No, I we know he was. Well, you, you know what it was? Well, we know what he said, but uh, <laughs> okay, all right. So I I got I, that. Okay, I, okay. I, I don't I don't buy it at all. I never did buy it, and, I, and, and even today, Chris Sale. They asked him again about it, and he goes, well, I'll let you guys debate that, whether I'm telling the truth on that or not, about the belly button thing. Uh, I, I don't buy that at all. But whatever it is, and, and it's more about what his arm is. Is his arm completely 100%? Is he going to be back to throwing 97, 98 with that good hard slider? Is he going to have command? There were some games that he didn't have command, uh, in this, in, especially against the Astros in that one start that he had. He didn't have great command. Uh, against the Astros, and he came out of that ball game early. So, but if he's uh, more like he was the first four and a half months of the year, first four months of the year, that's going to be a big factor too. And then if David Price can follow that up with the command that David showed and show the changeup that was phenomenal in that last game and the game against the Astros to clinch it, um, that's what he needed. You and I have talked about Price a lot on podcasts we've done here uh, recently. That David Price 
needs to get something off the hitters off his fastball somehow. His fastball and cutter are basically the same speed, and if he doesn't have command of those, he becomes an easy guy to hit. Well, he added that changeup, and he said he found something in the bullpen the night before, uh, warming up in the ninth inning, where he might have come in for Craig Kimbrell. And it ended up Craig Kimbrell got the save, and then the next day, of course, Prize pitched the, the clinching game and ended up winning. Um, got into the sixth inning, pitched really well. It's the best I've seen David Price, not just the postseason game, but the best I've seen him with command both sides of the plate. I can't even remember the last time I've seen him pitch like that with the changeup that the hitters were completely baffled by. Absolutely. Uh, you look at you look at Cora's group that he has over there. Um, it's a very interesting uh, group of, of players that, that won so many games, kind of ran away with that thing. The Yankees took a little bit of run in them, but they smacked him back down. What do you think the strength of the Boston Red Sox are? I think the fact that they normally put the ball in play and they try to use the field and go the other way, and Alex Cora believes in uh, in putting the ball in play. He doesn't believe in uh, strikeouts are okay. In fact, I'm paraphrasing when I say this, but I love his quotes where he say, in today's game where it's acceptable for a guy to hit 210 or 200 and hit 25 home runs and but strike out 160 times, that's not acceptable to him. And that's one of the reasons that they're – and they're a very humble team, very, very humble. They're not a cocky, arrogant team. They're very humble. If you saw their postseason celebration, um, they respected their manager. They weren't opening champagne while that was going on, while the award ceremony was going on. They were waiting for their manager, who had a great uh, conversation about when he took the job, how he wanted nothing, uh, no extra things, no car, no extra allowance for or uh, housing. He wanted all the, all the donations of any extras – uh, set to his home in Puerto Rico because of the devastating hurricane they had a couple of uh, years ago. So I thought that was fantastic. The team listened, waited, and then when you saw them drink champagne, the clubby was handing it out one bottle at a time, and nobody popped one until everybody had a bottle. And then, of course, they had their celebration. I had never seen a celebration like that. I thought it was very under control, very humble. And what that told me is that, they, yeah, they're happy they won the series, but their their goal is only one thing, and that's to win the World Series, just like the Dodgers is. The Dodgers just different, did it a different way. They just they went nuts immediately. But I'd never seen a controlled celebration like that, where a team listened to the whole um, award ceremony. You know, Jackie Bradley Jr. got the award for the MVP. Alex Cora, of course. Uh, Dave Dombrowski spoke, and the trophy was passed on and on and on. Have you, Rich, have you ever seen a celebration like that? I was just like going to say, you know what, it reminded me of the old Yankee celebrations. And Red Sox fans, please don't get mad at me. But you remember the Red Sox, uh, or, or excuse me, Yankees, when you were working at Fox, Skip, they didn't get that excited about an American League, or getting into the playoffs, or um, getting an American League East tro- uh, title, or even getting to the uh, getting to the, uh, the, the pennant because they knew that all those were fine, but the real celebration was at the end of the World Series. I didn't. That didn't dawn on me until you mentioned that, that, yeah, they act like, hey, we've been there before, this is great, uh, but we're not so excited that we're going to leave it all out right here and, and we're emotionally spent. That might be something that if you're looking at this World Series as this Boston Red Sox team still have a lot left of the take because, Kevin, we've seen it before where teams have, where they're just happy to get there or they go through a grueling series, and by the time they're done, they got nothing left for the World Series. That's a very interesting observation on your part. Well, it, it was interesting, you know, and I'm not just talking about on the field. I've seen the Yankees not celebrate on the field on the opposing ball club or even their own field when they've won an LCS 
But once they've gotten to the clubhouse, they were celebrating like crazy when the emotion, when the uh, award ceremony was going on. But I've never team, never seen a team not celebrate or take one bottle of champagne until the awards were done. I've never seen that. Not even the Yankees. It was the most humble and respectful ceremony I've ever seen as a team. And then hearing the guys um, talk about that in their interviews, um, and, and Alex Cora as well, uh, he wants the guys to be very humble and not have this sense of entitlement, and they certainly don't. So that, that just comes into play a little bit. Now, obviously, uh, between the lines, it's going to be about talent and execution and I think from a pitching standpoint, minimizing the walks against the Dodgers because the Dodgers do a couple of things really well. They work the count well, they track the ball extremely well, and they hit a lot of home runs. So I think minimizing base runners for the Red Sox um, and minimizing the walks is going to be key. It's going to be the same thing on the other side too, uh, minimizing the walks. But I think for Boston, especially against the Dodgers because they do work the count uh, better than almost any team that I've seen this year, maybe with the exception of Boston because Boston does the same thing. Uh, but I think are we going to really... get five-hour games for the World Series? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me because, uh, thank goodness, it's a 25-man roster, not a 40-man roster. Because if, if you had a 40-man roster, the way Dave Roberts uses that bullpen uh, and, and probably hey, Alex, too. Six, seven, oh, yeah, we're going gonna to have uh, three moves every inning from the sixth inning on because you got so many pitchers. I mean, if Dave Roberts can uh, help it, I mean, he's not going to let uh, J.D. Martinez see anything but a right-handed pitcher. If he can help it, he's going to not let uh, Mookie Betts see anything but a right-handed pitcher. If he can help it when Moreland plays, he's going he's gonna to have a lefty in there every time. That's what they did to Chris, uh, Christian Yelich for the most part. He saw very few right-handers, and when he did, they pounded him in, and they beat him on fastballs except for the one that Walker Buehler threw at 98 miles an hour that leaked out over the plate. Christian finally got a hold of one, but... That was an interesting way they approached Yelich. They didn't think he could catch up with the fastball in, and he didn't for some reason. So I'm going to be uh, anxious to see how the Dodgers try to attack some of these key hitters. Mookie Betts, I just mentioned, J.D. Martinez for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and Mitch Moreland's an interesting guy because he had the hamstring strain in the Yankee game where he scored from first base uh, in, in Boston early in that series against the Yankees, the LCS. And then really it was Steve Pierce playing first base even against righties. Well, now they've got Moreland back. And you know the Dodgers have a lot of lefty starters. We're gonna they're gonna see two uh, lefty starters to start the series, and then Walker Bueller will throw the first game at Dodger Stadium, Game Three. So that means Pierce probably starts those games. Now Mitch Moreland hangs in there against lefties, and he's a great fielder. He's a Gold Glover, but my guess is Pierce will start those first two games against uh, both Clayton Kershaw and then Hunjin Ryu. So. Uh, again, and I think it's about minimizing walks uh, for Boston to be successful, and the same thing for the Dodgers uh, against these good teams. What do you think Dave Roberts has learned back-to-back uh, -back World Series? You always learn something. You always sit, especially if you lose, you sit and stew and think about what I could have done differently. Do, do you see anything different from him uh, going back-to-back -to, -back to the World Series? Yeah, I think he learned that not to wear the guys out and trust everybody on his ball club because last year it became uh, the trust became Brandon Morrow. Morrow pitched in seven games, and game five was a game that he wanted to stay away from using Brandon Morrow, and, and he was going to give him a day. And that was that 13-12 to 12 game that the, the uh, Astros came back and won. They were going back and forth, by the way, but Kershaw had in the fifth inning had a three-run lead. And he walked two guys in the fifth inning, and Dave took out Kershaw and brought in Maeda to face 
Altuve, and Altuve hit the home run, I think, on the first pitch to tie it. And I said this before it happened and during it happened and then after on the postgame show. I said I would not have taken Kershaw out even though he walked to. I've got to trust Kershaw. That's what he's there for, to pitch to Altuve. And if Altuve homers and anyone to take him out, so be it. But, but just because Maeda was good in relief last year in the postseason, righty on righty, he took his ace out, uh, the best pitcher in baseball, and trusted it in the hands of Maeda. And he gave up a, a hanging cutter, I think it was, and Altuve hit the homer. I think this year you don't, you're not going to see Dave Roberts do that. Now, if he does make moves, um, he's going to – trust the guys he brings in not that he didn't trust Maeda but that was the first time Maeda had really done that and pitched in late relief like that now now Maeda has been doing it and, and there's um, a comfort more, level yeah there's a comfort level and more knowledge of that but he also trusts Julio Urias he also trusts Caleb Ferguson to bring him in late um, doesn't really have to have Kenley Jansen throw even though he came in, in the seventh inning uh, in game seven um, there's been games where he's come in the seventh inning and finished the game uh, against the Cubs a couple of years ago and got, you know, seven outs. I don't, think that ha- style. I don't think that has to be the case now. I think he trusts the other guys. Ryan Matson, he trusts to be in high-leverage situations in the sixth or seventh inning. And even though Kenley did look like he was going to go seven outs, I never thought he was. I always felt like Kershaw was going to pitch the ninth with the four-run lead because Kershaw's never lost when he's had a four-run lead with nine innings to go, let alone one inning to go. So if you're going to trust somebody with the ball in the ninth inning, aren't you going to trust Kershaw? Hey, come on. He did a little Madison Bumgarner right there, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. And then not overuse Kenley, uh, who, who hadn't done that this year, pitch like that. So, hey, Kenley, let's face it. He'd given up some home runs since he got got back and got out of the uh, hospital and and uh, got his medication settled on his AFib, the problem he's had. He's going to have right. to have surgery this offseason on his heart again. And uh, Kenley wasn't exactly sharp. He said, uh, and the thing that Kenley said, he said, it's not that I gave up the home runs. I think he gave up seven home runs when he came back. He said, it said I wasn't mad enough afterwards. It didn't bother me. And he said, my medication, he felt like was really messing with him. It didn't, you know, he didn't have the emotions that he normally has. So um, you saw that he has him now and he got his cutter back and he stopped throwing everything up in the zone. He got his delivery back more in sync. He was throwing more cutters, occasional slider, like when he struck out Grandison the other day, that was a slider. And when you see 97, a lot of people say, well, he's got his velocity back on his cutter. That's not his cutter when he throws 97. That's a two-seam fastball, not a four-seamer. It's a <laughs> that he two-seamer. can't throw straight. It's a two-seamer, and it goes away from lefties. And, it and, goes that's, a, and that's a natural cut that kept him from being a catcher. Well, well I'm talking about the two-seamer, not the okay. cutter. Oh, okay, okay. I'm talking about the two-seamer. When you see 97, that's a two-seam fastball, and he throws it a lot, and he throws it to get the left-handed hitters off the cutter. When you see 92, 93, that's his cutter. That's the cutter. Okay. So there's a difference in the velocity and the cutter. But when I hear analysts say, oh, he's got his cutter back throwing 97. No, that's his two-seam fastball. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize it's a two-seamer. They think, well, what is that pitch? It's just a cutter that didn't cut. No, he does throw a two-seam fastball. Okay, so let's, let's go back to our Fox days because th- these are the kind of type of questions that you would get during the pregame show. So I'm going to run through sure. uh, offense, defense, starting pitching, uh, relief pitching managers and intangibles and ask you who has the the edge as we get ready for the 2018 World Series. So let's talk about it. Uh, Offense for offense, who has an edge? Oh, boy. Um, The edge overall? Edge overall. uh, Probably one through nine. Uh, You'd probably give the Red Sox a little bit of an edge one through nine. It's pretty even. Depth, you'd have to go the Dodgers. So with that, 
with the depth of the Dodgers off the bench versus what the Red Sox have, uh, I would say it's a wash as far okay. as offense. Absolutely, because the Dodgers have the depth and and they can bring up the bench is uh, a lot stronger as far as I'm concerned that the Dodgers are going to have All versus right. Red Sox. Starting pitching. Well, again, God, so much depends on on uh, the command of David Price. It really, really does. But I think with Kershaw and Ryu, the way he's been throwing other than the last game, and Rich Hill and Walker Bueller, I think the starters are going the Dodgers' favor by okay. a little bit. Uh, relief pen. Relief, uh, relief core and bullpen. Well, uh, the bullpen for the Red Sox is underrated. I got tired of hearing people say that Milwaukee had a much better bullpen than the Dodgers. I said, no, the Dodgers have a better bullpen overall, more depth. And so for me, um, I think the Red Sox bullpen is being underrated now, what I'm hearing. And that Dodgers bullpen, people are saying, well, it only had a one and a half ERA, which it did. Um, but I'm going to say that's I'm going to say that's a wash. Also, the bullpen, that's how even these clubs are, because the Dodgers bullpen has a lot of depth. But you've got two guys down there, Joe Kelly throwing 100, 102. And you've got Evaldi, who's going to start, but also be in the bullpen, just like Porcello. Uh, I don't know how many Dodgers starters are going to be in the bullpen uh, maybe later on in the series, but at least the first couple of games where I think Porcello will be in the bullpen uh, right away, where I don't see Walker Buehler being in the bullpen for the Dodgers in the first two games. Where right. I, where, again, where I do see Porcello, he's a veteran guy, he's been around longer. I don't think the Dodgers are going to do that with Walker Buehler. I think they're going to trust Madsen and Jansen and Dylan Floro and those right-handers and, the, of course, the left-handers that they have as well. Um, that they're not going to do that with uh, with some of their younger pitching. So that's going to be interesting and, and very different. But I think the way um, that Barnes has thrown and some of these guys, um, it's been very interesting. And, of course, Kimbrell found something out about his mechanics. He also heard from Eric Gagne that he was tipping pitches, and apparently he corrected that. He looked much better in his last appearance. So you know that he's when the – I mean, we're talking about the two top closers in baseball right there in this World Series and Jansen and, and Kimbrell. So – I think that's a wash also. That's how close this series is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, uh, defense. Oh, man. Well, outfield defense, you have to give the edge to the Boston Red Sox. There's no doubt about it. Now, if J.D. Martinez is going to play in L.A., obviously, in the outfield, which is what it sounds like, they're going to have him in every, every game. Um, then I think overall, the Dodgers, um, because they mix and match so much, it's, it's hard to say, well, at this particular point of the game, the Red Sox have a better defense, but late in the game when Taylor plays left field and you got Bellinger in center and Puig in right, they can match up with anybody in baseball. Right. So that, so that's a wash. But I think overall, the outfield defense, you give the uh, Red Sox the edge. you got three center fielders playing out there, basically, and Ben Attendee and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. and Mookie Betts. And then you've got um, in the infield, um, I think you have to give the Dodgers the, the the edge on the defense there. Machado played a fabulous shortstop for the Dodgers, maybe the best shortstop arm I've seen in a decade. I mean, he's got one of the strongest arms, period, in Major League Baseball. Turner plays a fabulous third base. Uh, they mix and match at second. If Kike plays second base against these lefties, he's as good as it gets defensively anywhere they put him, but he's a great second baseman. And then uh, if Bellinger's at first, he's a gold glover. If Muncy's at first, um, you know, the Red Sox would get the edge there. But I think overall, I think because the left side of the infield, especially at third base for the Red Sox, has been a problem. Right. Nunez, Nunez had a tough time. Devers isn't exactly a gold glover over there. Um, if Kinsler plays, of course, he, he's been a gold glover before. But I don't know how much he's going to play. Betts might play some second base. He hasn't been out there in a while. Obviously, he started as a shortstop and a second baseman, so he's been there before. But I think overall, you have to give the Dodger infield 
um, the defensive part of their infield. I think you give them the edge for sure. Okay, managers running a game. Uh, you want to go managers or catchers first or catchers second? Um, oh, I wasn't going to throw catchers out, but uh, let's go catchers because that's well, that's a, that's a big part of this game. It's a huge part of it because Grandall had lost his starting job just recently because he's had a tough time catching the ball. Um, he's had a real tough time blocking balls that should be blocked, curveballs that should be blocked, right-handed curveball that kicks off to the left. It's because he doesn't get his left knee down first. He's been getting his right knee down first, which keeps you open. If you get the left knee down and create that angle going to your left when Bueller throws a, a curveball in the dirt, it'll bring the ball back to center. If you don't do that, you get your right knee down, you don't have the angle, it's going to kick off your chest protector and go to the left, and runners on third base are going to be able to score. So you got to watch that. So, um the Red Sox have uh, excellent defensive catching, uh, no no doubt about it. Um, uh, and Barnes, of course, has done a pretty good job receiving. Not a great thrower. I give the Red Sox the edge behind the plate. I like that. All right. See, this is stuff you don't get anywhere else, folks. That's why right. you got to listen to the podcast. All right. Two skippers running a game. Which do you like? I think Dave Roberts um, has to give a little bit of credit to Dave that, that maybe he gets the edge because he's been through this as a manager before. Uh, Alex Cora is a first, first-time first manager who hasn't managed the World Series yet, even though he's a bench coach. When you're calling it yourself as a manager, it's the first time. He's done a great job, though. Um, I think it's going to be a really good matchup. I don't think he's going to get beat on strategy. Plus, he's got good coaches around him. Ron Reinecke doesn't get better than that as far as a bench coach. Um, and Dave Roberts, of course, is there with Bob Guerin, who's a veteran guy as well. And Rick Honeycutt's a fabulous pitching coach. Uh, but I think because of the experience of what Dave went through last year, um, as I said already about overusing Brandon Morrow and a couple of the key guys that he didn't trust everybody, I think now he trusts everybody. Everybody that's on that roster, now he trusts them all. That's why he mixes and matches. That's why he takes out David Freeze, who's a great postseason performer historically, but if a right-hander comes in to face David Freeze and he's only had one at bat, he's coming out of the game, whether he homered or not, and he's going to bring in Max Muncie. So that's where I think Dave Roberts is different than he was a year ago. And uh, the lineup could be different every single night, and the bullpen uh, usage could be different every single night. And so I would give Dave a little bit of advantage, uh, mainly because of uh, the experience that he went through in the postseason and the World Series, especially last year. Somebody walked by my desk today when uh, they looked and they saw that Brad Ausmus had got the job in Anaheim, and, and they said, oh, yeah. Ausmus, that was awful in Detroit. And I said, yeah, said the same thing about A.J. Hinch when he got the job in, yeah. in Houston because he was awful first time out in Houston, second time you get better at it, third time you get better at it, and that's why I look at Doc Roberts. He's like, true. you've been through this before. Kevin, do you think you were a better manager in Boston than you were in Texas? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not so much with strategy, but I think handling the players. I think in Texas I got mad too often and let the players see it. And in Boston, I mean, a game-tying home run that Albert Bell hit in the 11th or 12th inning after we looked like we were going to win game one, we went ahead 4-3 to three in that game, or 5-4. to four. Uh, in that game, and all of a sudden, uh, I think maybe it was four to three, but Timmy Nairing gets a home run on the top of the 11th, and we look like we're going to win it. I bring my closer in, Rick Aguilera. It starts raining. He pulls a hamstring on the mound, uh, but hangs a split before that, and Albert Bell tied it, and I didn't bat an eye. And if it had been my years in Texas, I probably would have slammed something down like Tommy Lasorda. So, you are broke. Yeah. Look out for the Gatorade junk. So I think from that standpoint, I was I was better. I was more under control and didn't let my emotions play out where the players didn't know what I was thinking or, or certainly 
you know, they knew I wasn't panicking in that. And when I got mad in Texas, I wasn't panicking. Yes, I wanted to win. I was a rookie manager. Um, and we did win. We finished second. We were supposed to finish maybe fourth or fifth in the six-team division that year. Uh, but we finished second to the White Sox in our division. So I was very, very proud of that at the end of the day. But I wanted it so bad, maybe in my first year, that after you've done it, right, uh, you're better. You, you the, learn the, things. The team and takes again, your personality. Yeah, and again, it wasn't the, the – I was never – uh, worried about strategy. Strategy was my strength. Uh, handling pitching was my strength. That was my strong point. You've run point. games before. Yeah, I ran games. Managed, you know, 2,000 games before. So all the experience in the minor leagues and winter ball and instruction league, I've handled all that. So that never, I was never batted an eye on that. You know, I never, never panicked on that. But as far as um, showing emotions, that's where I was in check better uh, mm. when I was in Boston than Texas for sure. And I, and Dave Roberts showed a motion where he got mad at one of his players and um, laid, it, laid, it, laid out a little curse word, which I'd never seen Dave do on a player when Grandall hit into that double play uh, the other day in Milwaukee when they had a chance to, uh, I think it was game two in Milwaukee, that the Dodgers ended up coming back and winning. But Grandall came up with the bases loaded, one out. And the shift was on, and he wasn't hitting well, but he did from the left side. Ends up pinning him with a double play, and the and the Brewers maintained a one one run lead at that time. And that was, I think, in the sixth inning or so. And Dave hit the, I mean, he hit the railing with his hand and let out. You could read his lips, and the cameras <laughs> even went back to him. I have never seen Dave Roberts show emotion, getting mad at a player for not executing, right, um, offensively. I've never seen him get mad like that for a guy because he knows how hard it is to hit. And he knows, oh, yeah. hey, a do- double play is possible. I mean, Grandall did what he could. In fact, he slid into first base. And I thought, well, maybe he was getting mad because of the slide into first. No, I think he was just mad because they didn't get that run and he was afraid they were going to lose game two. Frustration. That's that's the first time I've ever seen Dave do that. So I don't know if we're going to see some of that in the postseason. Uh, I mean, in the World Series. But that was game two. And if the Brewers win that second game, you know, all they had to do was win one in L.A., and it was probably looking pretty good for them to win the series. And I think Dave felt that at that time and showed it. So that's that tells you how tough that series was for, for the Dodgers. And Dave Dave knew. Dave knew what that game meant. And the fact that Grandall didn't execute and get the, you know, sack fly in or something like that, uh, he showed emotion like I've never seen in a negative way to one of his players. And um, it's human. You're human. Um, right. he wasn't, he wasn't able to check that that time. And normally he does. Alex Cora is amazing to watch because I've never seen him get, you know, I've seen him get where he, he takes a guy out and, or he makes this move or that move. And he knows the guy's not performing well, uh, or a pitcher's not performing well, but I've never seen him slam anything in these games so far that I've watched him. I watched some games of the Red Sox this summer too, but I mean, in the postseason, I've never seen him react and granted they've had two series where they've been pretty much in command. But not in game one. I mean, game one, they, they lost to the, what, 7-2? to two Right. Against the Astros, and he didn't, he didn't see him slam anything. And in uh, game two against the Yankees, uh, when they split in that best of five, they lost the second game, I didn't see him slam anything. It wasn't that the, the Red Sox weren't in control. It's just that the Astros seemed like they had some life, and the Yankees seemed like they had some life, and that breathed even more life into them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just thought that Alex was really under control, and I think part of it's that he's been through this before as a World Series bench coach, and I think that helps him a lot. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I could say the managers get a wash, but I always think you're better the next time you do it, the second time you do it, if you've learned from the first time. 
And personally, I think Dave Roberts has learned from the first time. All right. So you're not Kirk Herbstreet. You're not calling the game. Neither am I. So let's get our predictions. Um, I'll, I'll go first. If you want, I'll let you go yeah. first. Uh, go okay. So I think it all comes down to David Price. I think he's the X factor in this world series. I like the Boston Red Sox winning game seven at home to win the world series. I think they're so evenly matched offensively, defensively. I try to get you to get me some difference, uh, some separation on, on all the aspects of the game. You can't, this game is destined to go seven. And if David Price can come through and repeat what he did uh, the last time out, I think it's the, that's the edge the Red Sox will have over this Dodger club because it's so even. Well, David's going to pitch game two. Sale's going to pitch game one. Uh, we don't know. I guess Porcello and Evaldi would be the next two guys. And, again, I think the Dodgers starters get the edge there because they have two real dominant guys uh, in, in Bueller and Kershaw. As far as stuff, Ryu just knows how to pitch, and you never know. Rich Hill, if his, that curve is on and he spots it, he can give you six shutout innings. He's tough. The reason I'm, I'm picking the Dodgers in seven, Rich, uh, back in Boston where it's going to happen, I believe, I do believe that this series is going to go that long, is because of Walker Bueller, uh, who went to Vanderbilt. He's pitching the College World Series and won. He's pitching the Regionals and won. He's pitched big games and won. He's done it in, the, in this, uh, even though he didn't get the win, he didn't finish five, but he did have a two-to-one lead when he came out of the game just because of the matchups. Uh, they didn't want him facing Yelich one more time. Urias came in and got Yelich after uh, Kane had doubled. That might have been the tie and run had it not been for the catch by Taylor. But he, he settled down after the home run. He didn't let the home run in the first inning. The second batter in a game seven against Milwaukee, uh, he didn't bat an eye. It didn't bother him at all. He, did, he shook it off and just threw that uh, easy 99 he throws. I mean, the ball just jumps out of his hand. If the Red Sox can lay off of that high fastball, they'll have some success against any of the Dodgers because that's where they live. They're going to live up in the zone, whether it be Rich Hill. Uh, Kershaw doesn't do it as much, but he does do it. But uh, Bueller does it a lot. He lives up in the zone. If they can lay off that and get some walks off of Bueller, that'll, that'll tell a lot. I know I've said that a few times already, but it's so important. If they can show discipline like uh, other teams haven't so far, then they'll have some success, and then it'll be interesting. But if they don't, I would take my chances with Walker Bueller in a Game 7. Um, overall, right now, he's got the best stuff on the staff. So I think wow. I, I take my chances. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Last year, we did such a great job with our World Series podcast. We gave you stuff that nobody else had, so we hope you stick around for all the rest of that. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. Uh, World Series doesn't get any better than that. The, you have the Boston Red Sox in the Los Angeles Dodgers. Don't forget, if you want to reach out to Kevin during the series, he usually have his, has his phone right next to him, and uh, he'll answer you on Twitter. Kevin Kennedy MLB is his Twitter handle. Yep. Mine is RBI Rich. Uh, Skip, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I really expect a really close series. These are these are the two best teams in baseball. Normally, I wouldn't say that. And no disrespect, had Milwaukee won Game Seven, I still I, I still would say the better team didn't win, but they the better team won in that series because I think the better matchup is the Dodgers and against the Red Sox. I really believe that. Absolutely. So we'll enjoy all that. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us at America's Best Baseball Podcast. Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.